In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of all of Jesus' parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan is probably the most widely known and the most popular one, even though only St. Luke records it in his gospel. And because this text is so familiar, and we've heard this about a thousand times already, we have a danger of just yawning at it and and glossing over it. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says and take it to heart and realize that his words are relevant no matter how many times you hear it. Before getting into the text, I want to point out that there are two great errors when it comes to this text. The first is the error of a lot of liberals. Liberals will take this text and say something like, you see, Jesus is commanding us to love one another. And that's true. But then they go on to say this love means that we need to be loving and tolerate those who are different, those we don't like. That's true. Uh, And we do this by having open borders and by accepting homosexual marriage and by supporting women's rights to have safe abortions, whatever that means, by creating government education and by sending our money to foreign nations to help them in times of war, robbing from our own citizens. What they do is they, try, they take this text and they try to institutionalize and legislate love and generosity. They want to raise taxes so that the government would be the Good Samaritan. That's how they view this and that's how they use this. This is what Hollywood and CNN and news outlets would tell you to do and to support. They don't care about what God says here. They don't care about the point here. They simply take the word love and then they use it against everything else that God has clearly said. Uh, On top of that, besides that, liberal churches will say that loving our neighbor means loving them no matter how different they, might be, they may be. And that means our churches must practice things like open communion. We ought to have things that are tolerant and loving like women pastors and unionistic services with other denominations that deny the truth clearly spoken in God's word and so on and so forth. And that is then the definition of love. That is what it means to then be a good Samaritan. And this is wrong. Jesus is not negating everything that the Bible says for the sake of love. He's not saying this parable and then throwing the rest of the scriptures away. This is a, this is a very evil distortion of Jesus' words, and we should not tolerate that. We should not tolerate taking Christ's words out of context and ripping them out to force things and to cause other things upon other people. That is wrong. In fact, it is actually unloving to support those wicked ideas. That's the first error. The second error is an overreaction to the first error. It's the error of a lot of so-called conservatives, or what we'd call neoconservatives. 
Conservatives will respond by saying, look, that is not what Jesus is saying. What is wrong with you? That's not the point of the text. The point of the text is not to raise taxes and rip away this uh, opportunity of generosity from everyone and force them to give to your neighbor. And so they'll prove that why the liberals are wrong with very convincing arguments with this. But then I've noticed that they stop talking. They'll move on to something else. And they'll never really listen to what Jesus says here in this text. So they, they, they will condemn the abuse of this text and then never understand the use of the text. Instead, they'll simply justify themselves as to why they have dismissed anyone who disagrees with them uh, in these ways. <clears throat> what Jesus says in this parable is that we ought to love our neighbor, even our enemy. Dennis Prager won't tell you to love the other side. Ben Shapiro and Sean Hannity and Fox News and all these outlets won't tell you to love your enemies. They won't say that. They won't tell you to pray for them or to care for them. Only Jesus says things like this in the midst of those who vilify one another. Uh, The tension here is a lot like the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. In fact, it is probably uh, the, the, the tension between the Jews and Samaritans is worse. In fact, far worse than any animosity that we see today. The Pharisees believed that they were the true children of God, the true children of Israel. And the Samaritans believed that they were the true children of God the children of Israel. The Pharisees believed that they kept the Torah. The Samaritans believed that they kept the Torah and they disagreed with one another. In fact, that's where the name Samaritan comes from. It comes from the Hebrew word Shamrim, which means keepers of the law. They named themselves that. We are the keepers of the law. The Jews, they worshiped in the temple. But the Samaritans rejected the temple and they called it illegitimate and they worshiped on a mountain, Mount Gerizim. And they didn't simply have theological differences. They had political differences, even to the point of bloodshed. Both sides attacked and murdered each other on different occasions. They were like rival gangs or something like this destroying one another. John chapter four, verse nine gives us a glimpse of how angry these groups were with one another. When Jesus asked the woman at the well for water, the woman says, how is it that you, Jesus, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then she says this, or this is the the note here. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That word in Greek there means that they don't, it's not simply that they don't even talk or associate with one another. That's true. It's that they don't even use the same dishes as one another. They don't use or touch the same things as one another. In fact, in the Apocrypha, in Sirach uh, chapter 50, the Jews wrote this. They said, the foolish people, the stupid people who live in Shechem, that is the, the Samaritans, Those people are not even a people. They're not human beings. 
So that's what the world, that's the world, what the world is saying, and what the, the, that is the world that Jesus and his, the lawyer are living in. Now, the lawyers in the New Testament here in this uh, text um, were not civil attorneys. They were theologians. They were men who studied the word of God, the Torah. They were the most brilliant men. They knew the scriptures in and out. However, in arrogance, one man stood up to test Jesus, which means he sees himself as the teacher and Jesus as the student which means he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. Uh, by the way, when it, the scripture says he stood up to test him, this exact phrase is used when the devil tests Jesus in the wilderness. It's the same thing. Well, the fact that the lawyer tries to test Jesus means that he was confident in his own answer, in his understanding, in his own theology. Most of all, the man was confident in himself. And that is the man's attitude and starting place. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Again, he's not genuinely asking. He's trying to trap Jesus or test him. He wants to see what Jesus says. And Jesus says, what is written in the law, in the Torah? How do you read it? And the man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, you have answered correctly do this and you will live. When Jesus says do this, he is implying what? That the man has not done it. And the man picks up on this and he thinks he has and he picks up on this and then this is why the text continues and he says, but he desiring to justify himself, he's he's convicted. The guilt stabs him in the heart. He says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, wait, Who is my neighbor? By asking who is my neighbor, he's really trying to ask who isn't. He's saying, look, yes, I've loved my neighbor. If by neighbor you mean I love my wife and my children and my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters, I love other Jews. I love other Pharisees and the poor. My, My heart goes out to them. I love them. So who haven't I loved? And that's when Jesus replies with the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's pointing out that there is one, even a group of people, but there are people that you have not loved. Jesus chose a Samaritan because he knew that the Jews didn't love Samaritans. They cut one another out of each other's lives. For this lawyer, the doctrine was simply theoretical knowledge. It was simply about having the right opinion about things. It meant holding to a certain set of propositions in his mind and ideas. And the idea was fairly simple. You love those who love you. That's it. You are good to those who are good to you. You cut out the bad people in your life. If you determine that someone is no longer your neighbor, well, then you're released from the duty of being a neighbor to that person. If that person mistreats you or, or is, is mean to you or does something wrong, then you can cut them out. And then your pool of neighbors shrinks smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you get to keep the law better and better and better. He thought that's what the law required. And so that's what he did. This is why the man was so confident in himself to begin with. It's easy. It is easy to love those who love you. It is easy to be kind to those who are kind to you, to, be, to, to get along with those who agree with you, who share the same opinions as you. 
Everybody agrees with this. You don't even have to have faith. You don't have to be a Christian to agree with that, sen- that sentence. That's what reason dictates. But God says something contrary to our reason. He says something that is contrary to your heart and your ideas. In fact, contrary to you. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. First John 4.20 says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, in Luke 6, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High because he is kind and un- to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. That's what Jesus says. That is what God Almighty says to you, to all people, and especially to you Christians. I, I know exactly what you're thinking now because I thought the same exact thing when I read this text and every single year when this text comes up in church. I don't like these words. Every single year, my mind immediately jumps to explain them, them away and to try to find some loophole. And I immediately start thinking of what other people have done to me. And I will say, look, you don't even know what they've done or said. These people are evil. They need serious help. They've ruined my name, my reputation. These people support evil and terrible things. These people vote for sinful and ungodly things. These people attack the church. They're enemies of the word of God. They hate your word. I know I have those same feelings and thoughts. And I realize that I'm only doing what? The same thing that the lawyer did. I'm trying to justify myself. I want to justify why I'm right to cut people out of my life, why I'm right to ghost people, to leave them to the wolves. I'm justifying myself as to why I've given up on some people, why I've distanced myself from them, why I've become so bitter and angry and hard-hearted toward them, why I hold grudges and cut them out of my life, why I would rather not spend a moment thinking about them, let alone be around them. Jesus' words cut me to the heart. They, they impale my soul. And if you are honest with yourself here today, then this word has pierced your heart also. <clears throat> I wrote this sermon knowing full well 
that this will not be anyone's favorite sermon. (laughs) Uh, We like the sermons that talk about them, but not the ones that talk about us. The ones that talk about the problems out there, but not the problem in here. We don't like that. But this parable shows us that we are guilty of breaking God's law. What Jesus says isn't impossible. It's not that you can't love your neighbor, that it's impossible, so then you just throw the whole parable away and say, well, Jesus forgives us, let's move on. It's not that you can't love your neighbor, it's simply that you don't want to. The point isn't that you can't do what Jesus says, it's that you haven't, right? You can do this. You can love people, but you haven't. You've walked away from people who needed you. And for whatever reason, you've passed them right by and you walked on the other side. I I know that without even thinking, we could all take a moment, stand right here before everyone and come up with a list of people at the forefront of our minds. Name all the people that we have cut out of our lives that we would be happy to never see again. We could list our enemies, our family, our, our friends, our coworkers, whoever they may be, what they've done to us, what they did, and why we wrote them off forever. We could name all the people we've <clears throat> set up boundaries with that we have functionally, so much that we functionally cut them out of our life. We've written them up as a lost cause. Regarding this, I want to read you a quote from the blessed Dr. Martin Luther. He wasn't writing on this parable of the Good Samaritan, but it's from a lecture on Galatians, and it applies to this. And I want you to hear what he says. He says, Such is the amazing craft of the devil that he is, not, he is able not only to remove this noble object of love from my mind with great skill, but even to persuade my heart of the, exactly the opposite opinion, so that it regards the neighbor as worthy not of love, but of the bitterest hatred. He can accomplish this very easily merely by suggesting to me this. Look, this man suffers from such and such a fault. He has chided you. He has done you damage, and so on. Immediately, this most lovable of objects becomes vile, so that my neighbor no longer seems to be someone who should be loved, but rather an enemy deserving of bitter hatred. In this way, Satan can do an amazing job of making the attitude of love in our hearts grow cold and neglectful. In fact, he can extinguish it completely so that we forget our love for our neighbor and yield only to its base desire. In addition, there are our superstition and negligence, as well as the offenses committed by our neighbors, which transform us completely from lovers into haters. Thus, all that is left to us of this commandment are the naked and meaningless letters and syllables. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That means that as long as your neighbor, no matter who he is or what he's done, as long as he has flesh and blood, he's a creature of God as much as you are. And he has not stopped being your neighbor for a moment. As long as your neighbor is flesh and bones, so long the commandment of love remains in force. I know our hearts will tell us and try to convince us that these people don't deserve our love, but Jesus says they do. He died for them too. I want you to stop justifying in your heart or racking your brain to come up with a way to get out of what 
the plain words mean. Love your neighbor. Don't do it. Don't try and come up with a fancy explanation as to why you no longer love someone. And don't say, look, well, here's the thing. I don't see him anymore. I, I cut them out of my life, but I love them in my heart. No, love is an action. It, it's not simply a feeling or an idea. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not just have the idea of love. He's saying love. Love is a good work. It, it, uh, you can't love your neighbor if he's not there. Don't justify yourself. In fact, if you justify yourself, you're doing what the lawyer did and you will be condemned. What you ought to do is repent. Recognize all the times that you have not loved your neighbor, all the times that you have vilified other flesh and blood and repent of it. Admit that you haven't been the person that God created you to be. Admit that you lack the love in your heart, that you'll never be any more loving by excusing or justifying yourself. I could turn blue in the face today and pass out telling you what you need to do, but no amount of exhortation will give you the strength to do it or the ability to. The source of love is not your willpower or your own heart. The source of love is God, who is love. The only thing that can give you love, the love that you lack, is the love of God in Christ, your dear Lord, who opened his veins for you and became your neighbor by pouring himself out unto death. Jesus doesn't only say love your enemies. He also says be merciful as your father is merciful. And what this means, and this is where you take hope. If God tells you to be merciful, then it is because that's what God is to you. Every single prescription of the law, every demand of the law, every prescription of the law is also to to you, is also a description of God for you. It means that everything that God tells you to do for another is what God has already done for you in Christ. He tells you to imitate him. If he tells you to be merciful, it's because he was already merciful to you. When God tells you to love your enemies, he's telling you to do what he has done for you long ago. Romans 5 says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, it says, we were reconciled to God by the death of of his son. We should thank God that he does not think like we do. When the father tells his son, son, go and save mankind. Go and save man, save the world. Jesus did not stop and say, okay, which ones? Or who is my neighbor? Who do I bleed out for? Who do I take care of? No, he did it for all. Dear saints, the reason Jesus tells you to be good to those who are against you is because God was good to you when you were against him. That is how he won your heart. He didn't win you back with anger or wrath. He won you back through his loving kindness. He won your heart by pouring himself out for you. 
God's love is not only the source of your salvation, it's also the source of your love. So if you lack this love, then be filled with that love today. Only God's love in Christ saves you and only God's love in Christ will transform you and take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that bleeds for your neighbor. As God loves you, love one another. And you won't have to go around to find people to love. You don't have to make or find new people. You have them in your life already. You know them by name. You know where they live. You will not lack people to help and love. But whatever you lack, find it in Christ. God has loved you perfectly in Christ. So go and do likewise. Amen. Listen to the words of this hymn, the hymn we just sang. O grant that nothing in my soul may dwell but thy pure love alone. O may thy love possess me whole, my joy, my treasure, and my crown. All coldness from my heart remove, my every act, word, thought, be love. This love unwearied wearied I pursue and dauntlessly to thee aspire. O may thy love my hope renew, burn in my soul like heavenly fire, and day and night be all my care to guard the sacred treasure there. In suffering be thy love my peace, in weakness be thy love my power. And when the storms of life shall cease, O Jesus, in that final hour, be thou my rod and staff and guide and draw me safely to thy side. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.